Welcome to the New Frontiers podcast, exploring how innovations will affect the way we live, think and work in 2019 and beyond. Now, New Frontiers is Barclays' annual digital innovation conference. We'll be inviting some of the speakers there to help create this podcast, delving into some of the key issues that we'll be exploring at the event. Uh, I'm Stephen Roberts, Chief Scientific Advisor to Barclays uh, UK Ventures, and I'm ever, ever so excited. I've just discovered a fellow Welshman, uh, Philip. Philip, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, sure. I'm Philip Colligan. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Raspberry Pi Foundation. Well, uh, what I thought we'd do in the podcast, if uh, I could, is just go through a few questions with you and we'll see where we get to and uh, what happens. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the key lessons from building Raspberry Pi? And for those who have no idea at all what Raspberry Pi is, one of the best kept super secrets uh, in UK business, I think, uh, what Raspberry Pi is. Sure. So um, Raspberry Pi Foundation is a charity. We're a UK-based charity with a global mission. Um, we're, our mission is educational, um, so we try to help more people learn how to create with technology, uh, what we term digital making, you know, the act of making things with computers, not just consuming things. And uh, we're remarkable for a charity in that we own a successful technology company. So we own all the shares in Raspberry Pi Trading Limited. Our founders, uh, back in the late 2000s, a group of uh, uh, engineers in and around Cambridge's University Computer Science Lab, um, in invented a thing called the Raspberry Pi computer, which is a credit card-sized computer. It doesn't quite work kind of describing it over uh, a podcast, but it's a credit... Think of a credit card. People um, can look up, though. There are plenty of yeah, images on Yeah, yeah, yeah. Google there. Raspberry Pi yeah. and you'll find one fairly easily. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 the challenge that the founders uh, observed that they were focused on was the decline in number of kids applying to study for computer science at Cambridge University. So a very narrow perspective on a big challenge that would stop teaching kids how to program, yeah. how to create with technology. And so so they came up with this idea of a uh, low-cost, programmable computer that would inspire children, like people of my generation were inspired by the BBC Micro and the ZX Spectrum and the Commodore, yeah. um, would inspire kids to learn how to create with technology. Uh, so they set themselves a goal, $25, um, basically the price of a textbook. Uh, and they set about, over the next few years, creating this wonderful piece of British engineering, which is the Raspberry Pi computer. And made in Britain. Made in Britain. We make the vast majority of them in Wales. We make some in other markets because, you know, it's, it's uh, easier to distribute if you manufacture in those jurisdictions. So we make them in Wales, in, in South Wales. Um, Good and, choice of country. Too. Thank you. Thank you as a proud Welshman myself. How many have you sold? Because I think that's <clears throat> extraordinary. Right. So here's the thing, is that the, the, the founders are all, and many of them are still involved in the business, uh, are brilliant. They're geniuses. Um, they're, I'm not one of the founders I joined. I was employee number seven. Um, but their ability to predict market demand wasn't one of their strengths. So they thought they would need <laughs> 10,000. Hmm. Uh, so I checked on the way here. We're just past 23 million sold. Which is um, incredible. Yeah, and I don't know when this goes out, but that number will have changed. It will have gone up by the time it goes out. And uh, the demand has been phenomenal. Um, what's interesting, I think, is who buys them. Yeah. Um, so what started out and is still an educational device. So my son's 11, and he has a couple of Raspberry mm. Pi computers in his room that he uses for all sorts of things. Um, is now over half of our sales go into industry. So they're being used right. by the world's best engineers to prototype and develop uh, uh, new technologies. They're increasingly being used in um, consumer-facing uh, uh, products. 
Um, they're used by scientists all over the world. They're used in factory settings as a sensor and control device. Um, but it's still the same product, right? Uh, and how much do you export and how much? So around 85%, a little over grow. 85% now are exported around the world. Um, uh, big uh, demand, big sales in North America. Germany's a very strong market, but a very long tail around the world now of countries where you can buy Raspberry Pi. And, and, and what's the sort of comparable if people haven't come across Raspberry Pi but they have a desktop or an iPad or a, a, a laptop, what's the comparable computing power? So um, so Raspberry Pi is a computer. It's one of the things to get across. Yeah. So it's like, uh, even though it doesn't look like your uh, laptop or desktop PC, um, you can use it to surf the internet, um, uh, watch YouTube movies, send emails, you know, all the stuff that you can use. Yeah. Uh, any other computer for um, it's hard, hard to peg down I mean the latest device is pretty powerful I think something uh, something like Eben's better at these numbers than me something like 16 times more powerful than our first device um, but if you bought a laptop probably 3 or 4 years ago yeah. uh, and you put that now against the Raspberry Pi Model 3B Plus you'd have kind of similar levels of performance for most things that you're doing so at least a ten times or a tenth the cost of the equivalent. Yeah, is. yeah. So thirty-five dollars is the reference point for the uh, what we call the hero product, the main, oh. uh, uh, the, the most powerful device we have at any time. We also have um, uh, the world's uh, only five-dollar computer. Uh, which we launched oh, a few years ago. Was the, that the one free on the front of a magazine? Yeah, the Raspberry Pi Zero. So that was a lot of fun. So um, we have a magazine uh, called The Magpie, which um, is available in, in all good bookstores. Uh, also, you can subscribe uh, for it online. You can also download it for free. Um, and we uh, we gave away Raspberry Pi Zeros on the front cover of The Magpie, um, which led to this wonderful uh, set of images of WH Smith stores all over the country with handwritten signs in their windows, no, we do not have any more magpies, you know, queues <laughs> of computer enthusiasts around the block. Um, but no, that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So, yeah, we have a, uh, we have a range of products that go from $5 to $35. So the thing that as, um, I've always thought really, really interesting is how, uh, in telling the story, people have talked about how you get up to producing 22 million units with still a staff of I don't know 50 people but the, 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 yeah. it was in the millions when there were just 6 or 7 people yeah that's right and how I think that's why I was thinking about one of the interesting things about the supply chain because you had to do things very, very differently to a traditional so manufacturer. When you when you think about the story of uh, Raspberry Pi, the product and the company and indeed the foundation and the, the stuff we do as an educational charity, um, it, the business model innovations are as interesting as the technological innovations. So uh, fundamentally, the trading company is a licensing business. So we license the manufacture and distribution of Raspberry Pi computers. Um, so we have a couple of partners um, who've been with us since the start, fantastic uh, uh, companies, who uh, they essentially place the orders for Raspberry Pis. We design them, we, we specify them, we, we specify how they should be made, and uh, we quality assure the product. Um, but they uh, uh, manufacture them through the factory in Sony yeah. uh, for the most part, and then they're responsible for distributing so, them. So are they, the they're carrying the risk of the stock? and the... Absolutely. So they um, carry uh, uh, the capital risk yeah. in that sense. Um, but it's a genuine collaboration. Yeah. Um, we work very closely with them. We now have uh, a network of approved resellers uh, all over the world, which the foundation curates, and we work very closely with them. We, we help them. Uh, we help customers find them. 
Um, and we do that because uh, we want to make sure that wherever you are in the world, you can get the product at the right price. So, um, but yeah, we are a, a licensing business. And, and, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why we were able to be a charity that owns 100% of a successful computer company is we never needed to take capital investment because of that licensing model. And, and was that licensing model derived out of necessity because the founders were just some Cambridge academics that didn't have access to loads of capital, or was it more by... It, it well, was I a think, good model. I think one of the important things on the writing of history of any innovation is that, that you know, you need to look as good as possible. <laughs> um, so I think, <laughs> I think no, there, there, are, there are different versions of the story, of course. I think um, partly necessity, yep. so partly um, a sense that demand was going to be greater than the 10,000, 20,000 units mm. that they had money to buy the components for. The wonderful story about Eben and Liz, two of our co-founders, selling stickers of our logo for a pound each in order to raise the money to buy the components. You know, there was some real graft at the start. Yeah. Uh, still, still is now. So partly necessity, partly inspiration. You know, um, the other one of the other big success stories out of Cambridge is Arm, which yeah. is a licensing business. Yeah. Um, and some of the people involved in setting up Raspberry Pi have also been heavily involved in Arm. Mm. So partly inspiration. Um... And I think, you know, as with any successful innovation, a, a good dose of luck. Yeah, um, and a bit of fun. Yeah, right, yeah, say. absolutely. So that is something, when I went, when yeah. they think they had six employees, because they were just about to employ you yeah, to the Cambridge yeah, Lab, yeah. which was just a really fun place, yeah. and... Um, I can't remember the name of the Austrian guy who jumped out of that plane at sort of like sub-orbit yeah. um, in a spacesuit. And so Raspberry Pi said, we're going to do that as well, but with a teddy bear. <laughs> yes, that's right, that's right. Raspberry yeah, Pi yeah, inside the, and launched into a high-altitude balloon. And that became a very successful educational program. So we have kids um, who are still to this day... Um, hook up their Raspberry Pis with a camera and a battery and some sensors and stick it in a high altitude balloon, set it off. It goes up <laughs> to the lower Earth orbit, takes photographs of the curvature of the so Earth. For, for the people listening, we actually have the, the, the team who are recording this smiling and laughing. You must go and look on YouTube. I can't. Yeah. What was the bear's name? Uh, well, it's Babbage. So Babbage, Babbage is Babbage yeah. the bear, of course, after the uh, uh, famous Charles Babbage. Uh, and you can see uh, videos on our website actually posted by young people, by, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-olds um, who have run this very serious scientific experiment yeah. entirely affordably. Um, uh, uh, what I love most is, is when there's a launch day the, in the office, there's a huge buzz and we always know about it. And you can track them. And occasionally, very occasionally, when they do them in the east of England, you'll just see it head off the Norfolk coast never to be recovered again, uh, these poor balloons that pop. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, that sense of fun, I think, is important, right? So there's an irreverence which is built into Raspberry Pi's DNA. Yeah. Um, the idea that, you know, we believe that people shouldn't have to pay uh, ridiculous amounts of money to get hold of a programmable computer. We think that, you know, price shouldn't be a barrier to people yeah. learning about computing. And uh, that sense of fun, the irreverence, is something that we've really tried to hold on to um, now as we've grown to around 150 people. Wow, 150. Yeah, which is... Um, so is the place in Cambridge still called Pi Towers? Yes, oh. it is, although we are controversially um, now uh, in two buildings and there's a, there's a, a good okay. debate happening in the office about, you know, which one's Pi Towers versus... Is the real pie towers, um, but we yeah we're still based in Cambridge. The majority of our staff we now have staff in um, California, um, Bangalore, um, Ireland. Um, yeah, so wow. it's, uh, it's growing, but still small relative to the impact yeah. we have. So 
um, and we should talk about some of the charitable work, but you know, we engage hundreds of thousands of young people in our programs, millions of people use our content, we sold tens of millions of devices, and, and still doing all of that with just the staff of 150. It's uh, remarkable. And I was going to come on to that because we've sort of um, talked mostly so far about the device itself, yeah. and you're actually CEO of the foundation yeah. that sits alongside, and I think we got to know at each other through the overlapping work around digital education what with us with the digital eagles and the amazing stuff that the Coda Dojo movement started off with and Raspberry Pi were already doing and the uh, Code Club stuff. I think it'd be brilliant for people to know about that because I think for a lot of the grown-ups who might be listening to this, this might be completely invisible to them but their children, they'll know all about it. Yeah, well, um, thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about it. So we do, we basically do four things, right? So the first thing we do is product, and we talked about that, and that's hardware and software. Yeah. Um, the second thing we do is educational content. So we produce materials that help people learn about computing and, and, and how to um, make things with computers. And that is all available free. It involves books, magazines that you can buy, but every word we publish is available free. Millions of people all over the world translated into dozens of languages. It's just phenomenal. People of all ages using that to learn. Um, the, the third thing we do is work directly with young people, and that's the clubs that you talk about. So um, Code Club, Code Dojo. Code Club is an after-school program, so many prime, 25% of primary schools in the UK have one, um, but we have thousands of them all over the world. Um, and Code Dojo, which is our kind of weekend and evening program um, uh, and so on. We also partner with organisations like the Scouts, so if you're uh, involved in Cubs or Scouts, you can now get a Raspberry Pi badge. Uh, for, for learning really? digital skills. Yeah, they've got the logo on. They look amazing. It's like one of my... You know, you have that sort of... In work, you have those um, life goals that you yep. want to tick off. Uh, well, scouting has been very dear to me my whole life. My kids are both in the movement. And right. um, uh, to, to, to work with the Scout Association to bring digital skills into their program has just been uh, one of my joys this last year. Um, so that's the third thing, working with young people. Um, uh, and then the fourth thing is we support um, teachers and volunteers who help young people learn. Oh, and you have a very exciting... Thing. Yeah, well, hot off the press, actually. We um, we are part of a, a consortium of three organisations which has been asked by the English government um, to provide training and support to teachers in every primary and secondary school in the country. So it is, I think, I mean, you know, got to be careful of hyperbole, I think it's the world's most comprehensive effort to train its teachers to teach computer science. I haven't seen anything else anywhere else in the world. So it's 78.5 million uh, for English schools alone. Um, and and that's being augmented by support from industry and other partners. So actually, the the, the total resource uh, going in is more than that. Um, and over the next four years, our goal is to make sure that uh, every child is able yeah. to um, work with and be supported by a teacher who has the skills and confidence to teach them computer science, uh, which is hugely exciting. But, it's great. But probably first time in fifty years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was actually talking to somebody yesterday about, you know... In my humble opinion. Well, how would this compare to what happened in the 80s, right? Yeah. When we had the BBC Micro Project and all that sort of stuff. This is on a much larger scale. Yeah, and back then even, I remember it was like the maths teacher who happened to know a bit yeah. uh, uh, that was given the job yeah. of doing it rather than yeah. 
because there weren't computer experts. There were a few different people. That's what I meant. We we have to remember that this is a relatively new subject. Uh, Still, you know, one of the things we care a lot about the foundation is researching what works in terms of learning computing and computer science because it's it's yeah it's a new subject and and the pace that technologies are changing. If you think about machine learning, artificial intelligence, data science, um, we're only you know we're breaking new frontiers every day. Thinking about how then you take those concepts and practices and and teach them to young people. I think the timing is fantastic. And who could have thought when Eben was thinking about the original thing about the Raspberry Pi helping graduates to be more informed, or sorry, the undergraduates, uh, to have got the stage where actually it's gone right through to the Right through to primary school. Right through to primary school. And, And, you know... Uh, not just uh, the UK, not just England. You know, our mission's global now, and we're working uh, all over the world. So, you know, this is a global problem, and we need um, many more people to to be able to use these technologies to invent. Yeah, well, I hope um, when people see uh, your talk and people listening to this, it'll get a few more people doing some googling to look at Raspberry Pi and to get some more companies saying hey can we just have a chat about this we didn't even realize that this was going on because it really to me one of the real hero companies in Britain that are hidden away doing not just amazing stuff in business terms but incredible things in terms of the social impact for the future of the country and not just in the UK but helping everyone else so I I just hope that you do have a little look at this now uh, uh, one of the other things that uh, I wanted to ask and I've sort of asked a bit but maybe that was because it was I gave the answer as well and I'm rambling is uh, about the most fun you've had with Raspberry Pi and I was thinking it must be the beer but actually the beer was before (laughs) you were there but you must have had some other fun things that have you mean in terms of use of the technology yeah. and so on yeah i mean oh, it's endless you know i mean i i we just did a um for our magazine a review of we do every year our kind of favorite projects and i, I got to put five up um one of the things that i've been really inspired by over the past couple of years is the use of raspberry pi in a conservation settings hmm. um so because it's so low cost it enables people to um use technology in the wild um, to gather data, which is then being used for very serious environmental purposes. So there's yep. a wonderful project um, by a guy called Al, who's part of our community, um, who uh, is strapping um, uh, cameras and sensors built around a Raspberry Pi onto green turtles to monitor the health of the oceans. And there's like there's hundreds of these things now. You know, turtles sort of sco- scooting around, going about their with business that is, with a Raspberry Pi kind of powered. Uh, 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 camera and then you can watch these amazing videos um and you and what they're doing a very serious purpose behind it is to gather more data to uh, lobby for environmental change and that kind of when you think about our, our, our strap line is um putting the power of computing and digital yes. making in the hands of people all over the world and that's you know it's such a, such an important expression a, a real tangible expression of that mission statement is young people and and, and others 
um, using the technology to kind of fight for a cause that they're passionate about. So I love those sorts of things. Mm. Um, my favourite thing that my son did, he'll kill me if he hears this, um, when I gave him a Raspberry Pi, um, and this was this was when we launched the Sense Hat, so bear with me. So one of the things you can get with the Raspberry Pi is this board that sticks on top, which has some sensors and some LEDs, and you can use it to take temperature and humidity readings, and you can have some outputs yeah. and what have you. And we, we created that for a space mission. So we have Raspberry Pis on the International Space Station and thousands of kids every year write experiments that run in space. And so I sat down with my son, we got the sense out and said, what do you want to do with it? And he said, what does it do? And I said, well, it can read temperature. He said, let's put it in the freezer and see how cold the freezer is. And of course, my heart kind of stops because I'm thinking, I don't really know what's going to happen with this. But what was wonderful was seeing him as then, I think, a nine-year-old, figuring out how do you package this thing up, getting it in a watertight box, but seeing him conduct a scientific experiment and having real fun. And uh, while you're explaining that, so yep. thank you, yep. I was just thinking, I've never asked, and maybe I, I was embarrassed to ask, why is it called a Raspberry Pi? Uh, right. Uh, there is an email trail, which we have kept um, for this. So we know the person that came up with the name. It's, I don't think we've ever said it publicly. but um, So the Pi um, is not mathematical Pi. It's Python, um, which is a very popular uh, programming language that we think is a great first text based programming language for young people. Yeah. Um, the Pi is spelled P-I rather than P-Y, which is what it would be for Python. Yeah. That was... Um, uh, I'd like to say deliberate. Um, the, the raspberry, well, of course, there's a great tradition of naming computer companies after fruits. You can probably think of a few. Yeah. Um, uh, but the raspberry also denotes that sort of wonderful noise you can make um, when you yeah. put your tongue between your lips and blow. And that, Yeah, exactly, right? And so that was meant to capture the irreverence of this is yeah. a thing that's for children. Um, and it's theirs, and it doesn't belong to adults. It's not the family computer. This is, uh, this is mine. Very nice. Um, so that's where it came from. Um, yeah. And any, my very last question, yep. um, biggest surprise since you took up the role? Because you worked for Nesta before, and yep. you might have thought, blimey, a lot of complicated government stuff and yeah. industry. And so so I, was, I, I was thinking about this question, because I, I knew you were going to ask something like this. Um, <laughs> so yesterday something happened, which happens to me fairly regularly, um, but every time it happens I'm blown away. So I got a letter. Um, and I've got it in my bag, actually. I can show it you later. Um, I got a letter from a, a chap who said, um, please find and close the cheque for £1,000. Um, uh, I uh, love what you do. I read your stuff online all the time. I read your magazines. I never pay for them. Uh, I buy your product, which is far too cheap. Um, uh, I used to be an engineer working for, uh, I'm not saying the company, BT, for many years, but I'm retired now. And I just think you should do more of what you do, so here's £1,000. And we get that fairly regularly, unprompted, people who share our mission, who care about what we're trying yeah. to achieve, and just want to get behind and help it. And that's probably the most surprising thing, is just how common that experience of, of people willing us on, wanting to get behind us, wanting to volunteer. That's, what a place to work. Yeah, it's great. I, I'd be crying every day <laughs> yeah, it is, after you get letters like that. One fine, final, final question that we're asking everybody that we have a chat to, uh, which is, if you weren't doing what you're doing now and you could start afresh, what, what would it be? So, um, I mean, the, the obvious caveat to this is I'm not allowed to start what I'm doing now because I'd almost certainly do that. <laughs> um, well, the one, I think I'd say in education, I think that, that the thing that I am 
Uh, thinking about most in what spare time I've got is the challenge of how we're going to retrain adults who are displaced from the labour market as a result of automation and the changes that technology are bringing. And I think, you know, teaching young people how to create with technology is my number one goal. I think if I have a personal second goal, it's how do we make sure that this big shift that's coming um, is a positive for the vast majority of our fellow humans um, rather than it being a negative. Fantastic. Thank you. Oh, absolutely beautiful and a lovely, lovely way to end. And I should have said right at the beginning, thank you very much for coming. Well, thank you for having me. To talk to us. And thank you for coming along to the, um, I think you're giving the closing address I, at the I day. Am, I am, no so, pressure. Well, uh, it's another advert for that. I hope all of you will have read up that listening to this and had a Google, but also please do and come and uh, listen to Philip. So come and have a look. And thank you again, Philip. Barclays Bank PLC is not liable for the impact of any decisions made based on the information contained or the views expressed. Barclays Bank PLC is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. More details, including how you can contact us, are in the description of this podcast. 